What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JustBaseball and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. One, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JustBaseball. Two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Three, you will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JustBaseball when you sign up. Disclaimer. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget... If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JustBaseball and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. Welcome to the Just Baseball Show. It is Tuesday, September 19th, and Aram and I are going to walk you through a couple of awesome MLB topics. We are going to start with our final predictions for the awards, going through all of the odds, going through all of the stats, a little debate here and there. And then on the back half of this episode, we are going to do a recap of how the players have done of the first 10 picks of the 2023 MLB draft, as well as a couple of overperformers that maybe fell in the draft. And all of this is brought to you by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. Sign up and deposit into your newly created account using promo code JustBaseball. Download the BetMGM Sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if it loses. But if the bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER and must be 21 or older. Aram, before we get into all these awesome topics... The floor is yours for your Miami Marlins, right? <laughs> I'm a Yankee fan. Jack's a White Sox fan, and you're a Marlins fan, and you're the only guy left with a team that is remotely close to the playoff picture. With that said, though, Yankees technically are not mathematically eliminated, but the Marlins certainly are not. I, and- I saw. 
Yeah, go ahead. I, was, I saw that John Boy tweet of like, welcome to the delusion. And he like breaks it down the entire way that they can like get back into it, which is fun. And I loved it. But it was so funny because the very next day they were getting no hit through five in a bullpen game with like Andre Jackson and and, and somebody else. I don't know if it was like Colin Selby or something. And I was like, if they get bullpen game, no hit by the Pirates one day after that tweet, like he has to just pack it in for, for, for the rest of the year. But I will say it has been fun to watch the Yankees play, you know, a little bit looser and, and younger, but yeah, I mean, the White Sox are in, are in absolute uh, piss right now. The, the Marlins, like every time I think they're going to fizzle out, man, they just seem to to recapture some life. And, and I know you guys talked about that series, but I, I'm glad you gave me the floor just because I wanted to like chime in on one thing. Yes, the Braves were probably hungover. Yes, Ronald Acuna got hurt. I understand that. Um, but the Braves have owned the Marlins on a different level for the last couple years, whether even if you look at the 2020 Mickey Mouse season, they stomped them in the playoffs. I mean, they, they beat them up at almost every single stop. So, uh, you know, to see them make this kind of adjustment and even with a hungover or diminished Braves team, I mean, it's still a loaded lineup and they had some tough like pitching situations for themselves. Like Brian Hoeing ended up taking them to the promised land in one of those games. Like they, they definitely had to piece it together. You got to feel good if you're a Marlins fan right now. I mean, it's, it's, it's wild. I, I'll give the whole story if they clinch or if they don't at the end of the season about how long it's been since I've really watched meaningful baseball in September. But, you know, I think what's really pulling at the heartstrings for me, because, you know, we talk about how you, know, you get close to a team, you cover it. Sometimes it can kind of take that, that, little kid fandom out of you but what's kind of pulling at my heartstrings is seeing the miami community care about baseball a little bit yeah i can't tell you how frustrating it was my entire life just watching nobody care about baseball in south florida and, and that's the biggest thing that's the thing that's getting me the most excited is even twenty thousand fans in the crowd like I, I never really saw that most of the time unless there was a cool concert or like the beach boys were performing or something like it, it, it's just so cool to see people give a shit about marlins baseball and, and that's why i really hope they make the playoffs i think it'd be great for baseball in miami that's why it was so fun at the World Baseball Classic to see your face when you saw the the parking mishaps, right? It was like, yeah, it's tough to park here, but now how are they going to handle all the fans? And seeing Lone Depot Park just packed to the brim watching baseball, I, I saw you your saw how, just how shocked, smi- shocked I, but just like a huge smile on your face. And you're like, can you imagine if half of these people are in Lone Depot for the Marlins in September? Yep. And look at us now. They yeah. are. They are. And and so I'm hoping they show out for the final part of this homestand. But you, you bring up a great point, like just even seeing the stadium like that. All of my friends that go to the stadium all the time in South Florida were like, what the hell? I've never seen it like this. So I just I imagine what it could do for baseball in South Florida, which is you know struggled for so long, which is so hard to believe. Uh, and, and I hope that they can kind of find a way to to sneak their way into this wild card. I know you guys broke it down, but man, there's jockeying for who could host the wild card now. Who would have thought? You know, I I thought that part was kind of set in stone and it was going to be fighting for who grabs that last spot. Now, I mean, I'm just hoping the Marlins make it, but they've got a chance where they could actually host, which, I mean, that would be awesome. They've been been really good at home this year. So I'll drink the Kool-Aid if if they host. Uh, You know, if they have that staff going at home, even without Sandy, I, I feel like they got a shot. Half game behind the Cubs. Don't count out the Miami Marlins before we even get into the MVP stuff. And then the 2023 draft, I want to shout out our YouTube for a second. We've been growing a lot on YouTube and it's a big shout out to our guy, Ben behind the scenes. But if you are watching on YouTube, 
hit that subscribe button, hit the like button, hit the comment button. I always go over it at the end of the episode. But at the same time, we're very proud of the growth that we've had on YouTube, and it's all thanks to you guys. And if you could keep supporting, remember, we ain't charging you a dime. If you could just hit those buttons, they're all right there. There's a big red one called the subscribe button. We would greatly appreciate it. Arm Layden, let's get into the awards. Uh, We'll start with MVP, then we'll do Cy Young, and then we'll do Rookie of the Year. So the big debate is the National League MVP. And Ronald Acuna Jr., by an odds perspective on BetMGM, has really pulled away. Minus 700. So to win $100 on Ronald Acuna Jr., if you wanted to bet him right now, you would have to bet $700. And it makes sense. Dude is slashing 337, 418, 586. Same walk and strikeout percentage, 11.4%. Acuna does not strike out. 37 home runs. He has closed the gap on Mookie Betts from a power department now that Mookie only has 39. And I say only. Only. Basically what I mean is Acuna, that was a little bit of a hole for him. He just started hitting a bunch of home runs. 98 RBIs for Acuna. 66 stolen bases. He's got a real shot here if he's able to rebound from his little injury. He might not be able to get there. But he's very close to a 40-70 season with a 169 WRC plus and a 7.4 F4. At this current moment, Mookie Betts is plus 400. So he's not completely out of it, especially with Acuna's injury. But the only really thing at this point now that Betts has over him are arguably the two most important things, WRC plus and F4. However, in basically everything else, Ron Acuna Jr. has the lead there. And I'm also just, I think it's amazing. And I know these guys are on great teams, but both guys hit leadoff and both are near 100 RBIs. RBIs aren't that big of a deal, but I think that speaks to the bottom of these lineups, how good they have been all season long. But they don't get as many chances as the Austin Rileys or the Freddie Freemans or Will Smiths or Matt Olson with Ducks on the Pond. Leadoff guys being at 100 RBIs is incredible. And both of them are right there. Acuna has to be the MVP. You, you, you've you switched. You're I have to switch. Acuna. I mean, Acuna closing that power gap. My issue with Acuna is I think Mookie is so much better of a defender. And it shows up in the F4. And it shows up in the defensive metrics, right? Mookie plays short. Mookie plays second. Mookie plays an elite defensive right field. But it's hard to stare down the barrel of 37 home runs and 66 stolen bases of a guy who's hitting 340. That closing the gap on the power and the WRC plus, it's really that close. I'm giving it to Acuna. Yeah, it's so it's so tough because, you know, I I do want to put a lot of uh, give a lot of credit to Mookie in terms of. Yeah, this has been unbelievable what he's been able to do to fill in for a Dodgers team that, you know, has had a lot of weird injuries and the kind of guys that just haven't you know, maybe filled the spots just the way that they thought it was going to go. So that's why we've seen him play shortstop. We've seen him play second. And even if he's not playing, you know, shortstop at a phenomenal level, the fact that he's even able to hold it down there for them is absurd. And you know, to me, that's a very valuable player. And, yep. and that's the one side of it. But then you just look at, and, and we got to be honest with what this award is. And this award is all about the the stats and the, and the sex appeal of of your stat line when you look across it. 
And man, I, I can't think of a stat line that's had more sex appeal than Ronald Acuna Jr.'s this year. Uh, in recent memory, it's been pretty hard. Uh, and yes, even if you want to invalidate the stolen bases, okay, subtract 20. He's still going 40-40 almost, has a good shot to go 40-40, um, and, and potentially could go 40-50, even if you wanted to subtract 20 stolen bases, which I think would be even ridiculous and unfair, uh, because I feel like we're not seeing as much of the the boon of of stolen bases with the top end guys. There's a few guys that have seen the jump, but for the most part, I think it's just elevated the floor of some of the other guys that never really used to steal as much, but I'd have to dig into that a little bit further. The biggest thing for me too is, yeah, you can talk about, you know, batting average and you know, maybe that not being as important anymore, but when you're hitting 337, like 337, yeah. like he's going to come in second behind only a rise in the batting title. He's getting on base at a 420 clip almost it's pretty hard to to argue against that. So yeah, you can look at the F war, but I, I actually appreciate the F war leader not being the favorite in in the MVP voting because then it would just literally be an F, an F war award, and, and we don't want it to be that. So I I really think you could go either way. Like I think it should be closer in terms of the odds because I do put a lot of value in, and we're talking about most valuable player, a lot of value into Mookie Betts being able to play three positions. For yeah. this Dodgers team while hitting at the top of the order. But again, like you, you just look at a Ronald Acuna Jr. stat line like this, and I can already see us, you know, five years from now looking back at it and we're going to say, how did Ronald Acuna Jr. not win the, the the MVP when he hit 40 home runs and stole 70 bases? Like we're and he hit 340. How did he not win the MVP? So I feel like we're kind of in it right now. Uh, and, and it makes it a little hard to zoom out. But in a few years, if we look back and look at that Acuna stat line, we're going to say, how in the world did he not win the MVP? And I think that's why he's ultimately the, uh, you know, kind of far and away favorite at this point. You make a really good point. When I look at this race, I will still stand my ground that if we're talking about most valuable player to their team, Mookie Betts is more valuable to the Dodgers than Ronald Acuna Jr. is to the Braves. I really believe that. Because when I, I look at the Braves roster, I still think they would be one of the best teams in all of baseball. Maybe even the best team. That's how good they are without Ronald Acuna Jr. The Dodgers without Mookie Betts, not nearly as good. And I think Mookie's overall value with what everything that he can do on the field is more valuable than what Acuna has put up in the stat sheet. But with that said... Acuna's stats are just so gaudy. And yeah. overall, I do think he's had a better year. And speaking about the stolen bases, I think a big reason people who aren't Braves fans invalidate the stolen base is because stolen bases are up this year. Colby Olsen, our stats guy, he said the league is on pace for 3,500 stolen bases this year. That is a 1,000 more than last year. And is on pace for the second most ever. So when you look at the stolen base leaderboards and you see a bunch of guys in the 40s, Esther Ruiz in the 50s, people aren't giving Acuna credit for the amount of stolen bases. And he hasn't been incredibly efficient while stealing bases. But the reason I still give him credit is because his speed on the base paths affects the game a ton. Right. When he is on first base, when you're watching a Braves game, there are so many times where pitchers 
have their two disengagements because mm-hmm. all they're trying to do is pick him off. Yep. Ozzy Albies is seeing more fastballs than ever. No wonder he has 30 home runs. So Ron Acuna Jr. just being on the base pass, even if he doesn't steal that base, which he has stolen 66 of them, he makes the Braves lineup better because the pitcher Acuna is in the minds of that oh, yeah. guy on the mound at all times so while he's not the most efficient base dealer he's always testing because he knows he can he has so much confidence in the rest of his guys to get on base if i get thrown out is it ideal no but is albie's gonna then get on and then riley's gonna drive him in or if riley gets on olsen's gonna hit a home run and that brings me into the next two guys freddie freeman and matt olsen So what I did is I limited it to guys who are plus 5,000 or lower, but I thought I would just add these two guys in because they deserve some shine. Matt Olson has 52 home runs and 128 RBIs as of Monday as we're recording. 160 WRC plus 6.1 F4. Freddie Freeman is hitting 335 with 26 bombs and 19 stolen bases. That is six more than Mookie with a 7.2 F4 which is almost the same as Ronald Acuna Jr. with a 164 WRC plus. They are getting overshadowed by two of the better seasons that we have seen in a while, but they are also having incredible seasons. Like, Let's take Mookie and take Acuna completely out of the equation. Who would be your MVP pick between Olsen and Freeman? Oof. Okay, that's a good one. And real quick, just to add one more thing on Acuna, another stat that we don't look at, but I think when you start to look at these awards, you got to look at some of the production stats. 135 runs scored by Ronald Acuna Jr. already this year is Nuts. insane. And that's, <laughs> you know, he's, I watched him score from first on a single, yeah. um, you know, against the Marlins during that series before he went down. And it, it was just one of those where it's just like, that guy is going to always find a way to score runs. Of course, having the best offensive baseball behind you helps. But as, as you mentioned, like, him setting the tone where it's like, even if he doesn't hit a, a bomb in the first at bat, like let's say he works a walk. Now he's, he's, totally in the in the head of pitchers and and totally you know making them try to work closer to home and, and work quicker to home and all those things and it that matters like and it's hard to quantify that value and and as much as we want to talk about it being the most valuable player because that's what it's literally called it really is kind of like who has the sexiest stat line and 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 it's Ronald Acuña Jr. so uh, but to to answer your question Freddie Freeman would p- probably be my my pick Matt Olson has 52 home runs. I know. <laughs> I know. It's like, geez, man. Fuck. But it's close. I, I go with Freddie Freeman, I think, just because I think he's been a little bit more complete and a little bit more well-rounded this year. Yes, but, yes. again, how do you vote against a guy that has 52 home runs? Yeah. <laughs> it's so hard. Uh, I, I would go Freeman, though, just because – I, the way he's been able to just consistently hit for average, the way he's been able to get on base at a high clip um, – even though he's not, he doesn't have 52 home runs. He actually has half at 26. So many doubles. He's still slugging 570. You know, and yeah. to put that in perspective, like you've got guys, well, even Olsen, Olsen slugging 612, which, you know, that's a good chunk ahead of him. But, you know, for a guy with half the home runs to only have a, you know, 42 point difference in the slugging department is pretty notable. And then you have about a, a 40 or so point difference, maybe a little bit less in the on base percentage department. So, it's interesting. Um, the other side of it too is is Freeman's actually stolen twenty bags this year, which is wild, um, and, and just been an absolute machine. I don't know. I I would lean Freeman, but this becomes more of like the how how do you prefer 
your your first baseman? Do you prefer your first baseman with a little bit less OBP and 52 pumps? Or do you prefer your your first baseman with a 413 on base percentage, 26 pumps, a ton of doubles and stolen bases? I, I don't think you could go wrong. I would go with Freddie Freeman. The only thing that Matt Olson has over Freddie is home runs and yeah. RBIs. That's kind of it. Because when we look at the slash line, Freddie beats him in everything except slugging, which of course adds to the home runs. Now, Matt Olson walks more, but strikes out a decent amount more. Freddie, better WRC plus, 1.1 F4 above him, right? If we look at everything a player has to do, defense, run the bases, hit, hit for power. Freddie is better than everything except the power department. But with that said, the odds are the same for a reason. 52 home runs, a single season record for the Atlanta Braves, a storied franchise, is incredible. In his second season as the hometown kid, if you are going to replace Freddie Freeman, you did the next best thing, and you barely gave up anything for him, Harm. Yeah, I know. That's that's the worst part, is what they've given up for you know, both Olsen and, and Murphy's crazy. But on the other side, Freeman, 55 doubles. Unbelievable. <laughs> the next most in the league is 41, which is Corey Seager, which is also absurd given that he's played, you know, 41 less games than Freddie Freeman. But Freddie Freeman's going to go 20-20 at first base with potentially 60 doubles. I, I didn't take the time to kind of cue it up before, but I'd imagine there haven't been a ton of 60 double seasons over the last 20 years. So that's the other side of it too. And again, it's like, there's you know, the home runs are prolific. We, we love to see home runs, but when you got 55 doubles, like those add up too. Um, so it is, it is really cool to see these two totally different types of, of hitters in terms of their, the way that they produce finding ways to have similar, you know, levels of production just in very different ways, which is, you know, what's so fun about baseball, but yeah, I mean, Again, I, I know I don't want it to be an F4 uh, award like we talked about. Yeah. But once you get to like the 1.2, 1.3 win gap, it starts to become a little bit more of like, okay, I got to look at that a little bit more. Yeah. You know, when you're talking about 8.1 versus 7.4, you know, it's it's a little bit easier to, to palette. But when you're looking at 1.2, 1.3, we'll see what the gap is by the end of the season. It, it becomes a little bit more of a conversation, I think. Couldn't agree with you more. Just to wrap up and then we'll move to the American League MVP. If you think Matt Olson would be over Freddie, I think you value home runs and run production more from your first baseman. If you would bet on Freddie Freeman, I think you value the all-around game being more important at a first base position. And I don't think you're wrong either way. It's whatever you want from the first base position, but both guys have been unbelievable. Now, the American League MVP, there really is no debate by the odds. Shohei Otani is minus 20,000. To put that in perspective, to win $100 betting on Shohei to win the MVP, you would have to bet $2,000. Shohei Otani this season, 44 bombs, 20 bags, slashing 304, 412, 654. We're talking about slugging percentage. That is 40 points above Matt Olson, who has 52 home runs. 179 WRC plus leads all of baseball 6.6 F4 as a hitter and you get docked 
for being a DH. Shohei Otani has been the best overall hitter in Major League Baseball this season. And I don't think that's a hot take. No, I don't I don't think it is either. Uh, you know, you can, of course, talk about Acuna and, and what he's done offensively. But, you know, 135 games, really, until Otani got hurt, there was a lot of parallels to Aaron Judge's season last year yeah. in terms of what he was doing. It's like you, you see the power, you see the production, and then you're also asking yourself, how is he hitting 300? Because that's the other crazy part about it, too, is – 44 homers in 135 games. And again, he was on a better pace than that, you know, as he started to get banged up and had the elbow issue. And it just seemed like, you know, the team started to really fall out of it. It it seemed like he just wasn't on that same pace, Uh, but also mixing in and not the most efficient, but 20 for 26 on stolen bases. That's better than last year's, you know, 11 for, for 20. Um, So that's also an underrated aspect of it. And he just, he can just motor, um, it's it's really fun to to watch this guy just put together full seasons. And I'm glad that we've got I know this wasn't totally a full one, but we've gotten now like three relatively full seasons of him. And it's just amazing to see the way he can fill up the stat sheet. I think this guy could have stopped playing pretty much in in August and would have had this thing locked down, uh, which is just absolutely remarkable. And I mean, it's just cool to see the offense kind of hit another gear this year in terms of you know his on base percentage jumps his career average including this year is 366 in terms of on-base percentage 412 this year so just to see him walking as much as ever see him making as much contact as ever while having this out of body home run you know pace that he was on it's just like he's becoming kind of right in that Aaron Judge department in terms of just one of the best power hitters we've seen in this era there are a couple hitters in major league baseball that see one pitch a game We heard about it first with Barry Bonds, right? Pitchers back in the day would say, you'd walk him three times, you'd throw one ball in the strike zone, and he'd hit it out of the ballpark. Watching Angels games, Shohei Otani gets one pitch. They do not pitch to him. Perfect example. It was against the Rays. I think it was a Rosmo Ramirez pitching. And Shohei Otani came up with the bases loaded. 3-0 count. They're not throwing him anything. Ross Ramirez flips up a 3-0 curveball just to get a strike at the bottom of the zone. And I was like, well, they're just going to walk him, I guess. Basically intentionally walking him with the bases loaded. He throws a fastball up and out, and Otani was like, I ain't walking. (laughs) Grand slam. What happened in that game? The Rays won. Shohei Otani got one pitch a game and did the most damage as humanly possible and played really post-All-Star break with a torn UCL and an oblique problem. Yep, yeah. Like, there's context, right? When we're talking about Acuna, right? We give all players their context that's needed because the stat sheet is one thing. How did they get there is another. What Otani did this year offensively is absolutely incredible and rivals Aaron Judge of last season where it was the same thing, right? We saw when he was on the chase for 62, he never got a strike. And even the low strikes weren't really strikes. They were being called low in the zone. He's getting screwed constantly, but still hit every ball in the strike zone out of the ballpark. That's what Otani did. But now as a pitcher, 3-1-4 ERA, 132 innings, 167 strikeouts, and a 2.3 F4. By baseball reference, he was a 10-win player this year. By fan graphs, he was a 8.9 f war guy 
and that's his season is over. Just to put that in perspective, Mookie Betts, 8.1, while playing three different positions at his, at an above-average level. Shohei Otani was the best player in baseball this year. Yep, and as long as he's somewhat healthy, he will continue to be that. Uh, yeah, he saw 3% less frequent pitches, you know, 3% less pitches in the zone this year, which, you know, sounds like not that much, but it was already a low number last year, so it's even lower this year. Uh, just, just been able to get his swing off and make sure he doesn't miss the one pitch he gets. And, and that's the most remarkable part of it. So I, I'm I'm excited to see where he lands. I'm excited to see him healthy next year. I'm glad he shut it down you know, because yes. again, like I know you guys talked about it last episode. Like I, there was no reason for him to be out there anymore. Get a head start on this thing. Get yourself ready to go earlier next year. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a hundred percent on board for that. So yeah, screw the angels. I, I'm glad he can shut it down and, and hopefully that'll allow him to be you know, ready to go a little bit earlier next year where, I'm imagining, I mean, this is what he was doing on, on a team where there was little to be excited about. You know, I know that Otani's a pro's pro and he's always going to play his butt off, but man, I'm just imagining him in a better environment and, and a better organization with you know, better teammates, better, uh, just all around vibe and energy in the organization and seeing what that's going to bring out of him. We might not have even seen the best yet, which is crazy to think about. You see the flair when he wants to win. Oh, He's yeah. the winner, and he wants to win. The next two up in the odds, they're not going to win, but they do deserve their flowers. Corey Seager, plus 1,700. What a year. What a year. Slashing 337, 399 with a 651 slugging. That is better than Matt Olson. 31 bombs, 92 RBIs, a 178 WRC+, plus, just a point lower than Shohei Otani, 6.1 F4 and hasn't even played the entire season, doesn't strike out, walks at a 10% rate. Corey Seager. I was told I ranked him too high in my top 100. I didn't rank him high enough, Aram. I didn't rank him high enough. You didn't. You didn't. I I've I've been uh I've been giving you your flowers for for this call this year because man, I mean, he's he's been on a different level. Like of course Seager's you know, no one said that, oh, $300 million oh, was a bad contract. Everyone has, has associated him as a, you know, superstar level player, or at least in that conversation. But I don't think anybody ever really thought, hey, this guy could potentially compete for MVPs. Uh, at least, you know, I, I thought it would take something really special for him to compete for an MVP, to be totally honest. Yeah. And I mean, now I don't feel that way at all. <laughs> I'm watching this guy swing and, you know, I sent I sent an open face swing uh, to you guys a couple days ago, or maybe Perfect. a week ago at now at this point. And I just because I love to study the best in the big leagues and and apply that to you know the minor leagues and see the moves that they that they have down and, and what they're trying to do in the box. And th- this guy's figured it out, like just point blank has figured it out. And and I don't see this production going anywhere. So great call from you going into this year. And it's funny because you and I had our little wager where uh, uh, shortstops are always going to have more F four than than other positions because of how important they are. And I still felt good that Austin Riley was going to be able to put up, you know, a higher F4. I thought Seager would be like a four, four and a half win guy. I thought Austin Riley would be a five win guy. And we made that bet. Austin Riley had a great season and he's continuing to have a really solid season, especially in the second half where he just went torrid. And it's not even close. Uh, and, and a big reason why is 
his defense has been as good as ever for Seager. Five defensive runs saved this year. And whether you look at outs above average or DRS, and I think you got to kind of combine the two nowadays because of the way that OAA for the infield does kind of still track for where you start from with the limitations of the shift. I think that's important. But regardless, he's he's zero outs above average, which is better than he's been, you know, most other years. And I think for him, though, the most important thing has been DRS because that's where he's been deficient pretty much every single year. And five defensive runs saved this year. It was negative four last year. It was zero the year before that. It was negative two, negative one, negative one, seven, negative seven, negative one. So this is the second year where he's really been positive and it's well positive. So it seems like just across the board, this guy's game has just hit another level. And shit, man, I'm interested to see what the MVP uh, like odds look like next year. Because if they're you know not respecting Corey Seager fully, I'll be in it with you. I'll sprinkle on, on an MVP next year. Full season, we would have had a little bit more of a conversation, I think. You know, it would have been kind of like that Vladdy Otani conversation we had before. Absolutely. But I think he would have had even more of, of a conversation because, okay, let's say he plays one, 150 games this year. He probably finishes with over 40 home runs. He's superb defensively this year, at least very solid. He'd probably be an eight or, or, or eight and a half win guy, maybe even more than that. Like, it'd probably still be Otani, but it'd be another one of those where it's like, how does a position player ever win this award if they can't win it this year? Like Seager was having that kind of year if if he you know was able to play more than 106 games through most of the season. And I'm not really surprised that Corey Seager doesn't rate out that well and outs above average. People forget this guy is six four, six foot five, and 220 yeah. pounds. Like he is yeah. a freak of nature. So I'm not surprised by a range metric for a guy yeah. at shortstop that big, he doesn't grade out that well. So even being at zero, I think is a plus for him. Every single yeah. ball that goes his way, he is making. Now he's not making yeah. these incredible diving plays in the hole, but at the same time, I think you'll take the offensive year that he put up. Now, plus five thousand, we do have to shout out, and he deserves it because of one of the best second halves that we've seen in Major League Baseball, Julio Rodriguez at plus 5,000, slashing wow. 287, 342, 500, 30 bombs, 36 bags, a 133 WRC plus, and a 5.9 F4. Doesn't walk a ton, doesn't strike out all that much, 24% rate, 99 RBIs on that Mariners offense is honestly kind of incredible. Yeah, really impressive. And the defense in center field. He is, hmm, he's kind of like what we thought Tatis would be, yeah. if that makes yeah. sense. Like, yeah, from a production standpoint, I mean. This is what we thought from Tatis, maybe yeah. more home runs, but the stolen bases, and Tatis has been great in right field. It's not center. It ain't yeah, center. Julio's been amazing. Second half for Julio Rodriguez, 344, 392, 635 slash line. That's a 1,027 OPS, 181 WRC plus. I mean, in the second half, you could argue he's been the, you know, the most valuable player. But of course, this is a full season award. And you know what Otani did through the first half and then through the early parts of the second half was, was more than enough. But absolutely have to highlight Julio Rodriguez, who when you factor in how poor his start was to the season, it is amazing to see him settle in. I think this is going to be a big building block for him, right? You have that slow start, not beginning sophomore slump somewhat, then go nuclear. This, guy, this guy's 22 years old. He will win his MVP awards, uh, especially if Otani gets out of the American League. Then he will definitely uh, win some of his MVP awards. So we talked a little bit about this yesterday. So I'll more open the floor to Aram to give his take. The odds have told us on BetMGM 
that Blake Snell is as much of the Cy Young as Acuna is the MVP wow. in the National League, and even more so. Minus 750. You would have to put $750 on Blake Snell to win $100 if you bet him to win the Cy Young. He's got a lower ERA than Justin Steele. And the argument against Snell is innings. Well, Steele has thrown two less innings. Snell has much more strikeouts. Not, obviously, three times the amount of walks, but a lower F war. But at this point, voters aren't really looking at F war. And a lower ERA with more innings and more strikeouts, Snell's going to win this thing. Yeah, I was team steal. Um, Me too. I definitely was. And, you know, it's been an awesome year for him. But, you know, I think he's kind of run out of gas a little bit here. And especially in that last start. I mean, it, just having the blow up in that last start really, really hurts. You know, it was nice to see. He strung together three really good outings against the Brewers, against the Giants, against Arizona, but then has to face Arizona again and this time on the road and, you know, just back-to-back starts against Arizona. He just gets knocked around for six earned runs. And, you know, it's interesting because Snell has kind of been that guy that could have those blow-up starts. And I, I thought if anyone, it would be Blake Snell that would have the blow-ups that would take him out of the, the race, but he really hasn't. And and if anything, he just, he keeps shoving. And so it shows you how, how quickly the, the Cy Young award can, conversations can change because again, they, you know, they only throw 30, ish times per year and so each start can make you know can move the needle quite a bit both ways and especially if it's bad and the thing with Snell is I mean dude he has not had one start this year oh he's had only one start this year where he's allowed more than four earned runs and that came on May 19th against Boston I mean, other than that, it's been three earned runs or less pretty much every single start he had you know four earned runs in his second start of the year against the Braves it's pretty remarkable how consistent this guy has been for how volatile he is in terms of the, the stats, right? Like when you look at the walks, when you look at just the whip, when you look at some of the underlying metrics, it's insane that he has also been so consistent. And I think that speaks to his ability to miss bats. That speaks to his ability to just leave guys stranded 86% left on base, right? And people can say, Oh, well, you know, that's not sustainable, whatever. It doesn't matter. You don't have to sustain it beyond the season. So He's done it, man. He's put it together. I, I I thought he would fade. I really did. He hasn't. And Blake Snell is going to be a two-time Cy Young winner, uh, which is which is crazy to think about. Have you ever thought about his Hall of Fame case? Oh my god! <laughs> like I'm not saying oh my god because you're being ridiculous because two Cy Youngs like all of a sudden you got to start thinking about it. But <laughs> World Series. I mean, he didn't win the World Series, but he was yeah. in it. Right? Got pulled out. If he. I mean, how many healthy. pitchers? How many pitchers out there right now, as we sit here today, are going to have multiple Cy Young awards? There's, there's not a lot, man. There's not a lot. I'm curious how many, how many pitchers we'd have to dig this up. We'll dig it up for the next episode and talk about it. But like, how many pitchers have had multiple Cy Youngs? And I'm sure there's, there's several. There's, there's, there, I'm sure there's plenty, but it's not that big of a number. How many players have had multiple Cy Youngs and not been Hall of Famers? You know, it's probably not the, the longest list of all time. Um, also, Blake Snell, sneaky 20-game winner in, in 2018, which is a pretty impressive feat, especially for the Rays and especially being Blake Snell uh, and the way that he has kind of turned into this five-and-dive guy. But for the most part this year, he's given you a lot of six-inning starts. He's given you a lot of shutout, you know, six innings of shutout ball. So it's it's pretty amazing. I would say, though, dude, like he's already 30. He's going to have to pitch for a long time. He's going to have to be like like this for 
seven more years, I'd say. So it'll be interesting. But, I mean, he he's definitely making a case as one of the better pitchers of the last 10 years. If he wins another Cy Young, I think there's no doubt about that. The American League Cy Young race is pretty much wrapped up at this point. Garrett Cole is minus 2,000 on BetMGM. Not quite Shohei Otani, but when you lead in ERA, you lead in innings, and you lead in strikeouts, you're going to win the American League Cy Young. But got to shout out Luis Castillo has also been fantastic, pretty close in the stats to Garrett Cole, but still just not that close. And then Sonny Gray is somewhat in the conversation at about plus 4,000. There's really no debate other than Garrett Cole with an ERA below three over 200 strikeouts, and he's going to be at 200 innings this year. It's Garrett Cole's award, and but we can talk about Castillo and Gray. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I do want to mention I mean, Cole, Cole over 200 innings. You know, it's going to be a two two eight ish ERA. There just there's few guys that just can pencil in and just feel so comfortable about you know every single year and it's been really cool to see him just just churn out fantastic seasons and not fade at all and he really hasn't faded at all this year another 200 inning season on the ways it's just ridiculous I will say and and I'll leave you the four for Castillo because he has been you know really good this year but Sonny Gray man like I think he should come in second and and I think he he should he probably with another really good start or two can actually solidify himself as like that perfect second place guy. Like to me, he's been really darn good. He's coming off of one of his best starts of the year, 30 starts, 174 innings, a two, eight, four ERA. Like that is pretty remarkable stuff. Gray has been awesome. And it's interesting because he's going to be a free agent now in, in, in 2024. And I'm really interested to see what this guy gets other side of 30, but this has arguably been the, the best, season of his career 34 years old what what do you give this guy he's pitching as well as he's ever pitched let's go through because I, I wanted to go back and forth so you have Sonny Gray's stats loaded up yep okay so Gray has the lead in ERA because Castillo is at 3.08 and Sonny Gray is at sorry I was taking a sip right then <laughs> 2.84 <laughs> 2.84 181 and a thirds for Castillo 174. Okay. So in terms of strikeouts, Castillo's at 199. 171 for uh, Gray. So Castillo does have the innings and the strikeouts, Mm -hmm. but Gray does have that ERA, and it is very, very close. I think what I will say about Castillo, he has been the ace of arguably the best pitching staff in Major League Baseball. And weirdly enough, I think Gray gets a little overshadowed. Does he get overshadowed in that Twins rotation at all to you? I think he did in the beginning, but then I think he really separated himself. Because I think he was kind of in the same boat as Pablo and and Joe Ryan for for a lot of people going into this year. And and to me, he wasn't that different. And whereas, even though we love the young arms in Seattle, Luis Castillo, like that's been a frontline guy for a minute now. Um, but Gray, I feel like kind of separated himself as the clear ace of the staff. What's interesting too, though, for me is, and I know we don't really care about wins and losses, but how the hell is Sonny Gray eight and seven? Like that team is so bizarre, uh, <laughs> the twins. But 
I will say this, the way he's been able to keep home runs, you know, kind of off the board in general, I think only seven home runs in 174 innings. Where, where is uh, Castillo on that? Cause I know he's not a guy that gives up a ton of nukes either. Castillo's given up 26 home runs. Oh, maybe he has given up. Holy crap. Yeah. And, and I know it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, it's, it's just you know, how many runs you give up. It doesn't really necessarily matter how you give them up, but just seeing Sonny Gray be one of the best you know, home run preventers, a 4.8 home run to fly ball rate's absurd. Absurd. And Luis Castillo kind of giving up also triple the home run to fly ball rate. And I, I didn't even realize he gave up that many homers this year. It's interesting. Like, again, it's it, it, it all boils down to what the ERA is at the end of the day. And honestly, 0.24 is, that's a pretty fair margin, right? Like, that's that's a lot between Castillo and, and yeah, Gray, especially when you look at how many home runs he's kept off the board. So I think Castillo has been awesome. But I'm just I'm just really hyped on Sunday Gray. I don't know. I I just have been absolutely floored by this guy this year. No, I agree. It's not like the innings discrepancy is that much, right? It's one start, right? It's a six yeah, yeah. inning game, and Gray is going to get his innings as will Castillo. It's not like Gray is at 150 innings and Castillo is at 190, but yeah, yeah. Gray has an ERA below what Castillo has. And the problem with Castillo this year is it's really been left-handed power bats that have really gotten him. If you look at the splits, 18 home runs allowed to lefties, only eight to righties. Now he's going to face... Normally, when teams, you know, platoon their guys against a right-handed pitcher, it's going to be more lefties. But in terms of batters faced, right, he's faced 401 lefties and 330 righties. So I think what he has to work on next season is how do you limit power production against lefties? Because imagine if he only gave up 10 home runs, right? You're yeah. lower in that ERA near where Sonny Gray is with more innings and more strikeouts. But I agree with you. To finish second... Give me Sonny Gray. So now moving on to the rookie of the year. Arm, this is hilarious. I'd read you the odds, but BetMGM took them off the board, as did all sports books. Basically, what they are saying is the winner of the National League Rookie of the Year is Corbin Carroll, and the winner of the American League Rookie of the Year is Gunnar Henderson. Corbin Carroll had an amazing season, had one of the best seasons of any player in Major League Baseball. Slash 279, 358, 501, 24 bombs, 47 bags, and struck out less than 20% of the time as a rookie. 130 WRC plus, 5.2 F4, which put him in the top 10 of hitters in Major League Baseball. You ranked Corbin Carroll as your number one overall prospect above Gunner, right? And a lot of people had Gunner. But you planted your flag in the ground and said Corbin Carroll will be better. And we bet on him at plus 500. (laughs) When Jordan Walker got announced that he was going to make his debut, those odds dropped and you and I pounced. And now we're sitting with one unit to win five units. I feel great. But more than that, I am so happy that Corbin Carroll has met expectations. Mm -hmm. But that's doing him a disservice. He has exceeded them. If I told you Corbin Carroll would have 25 home runs and 50 steals by the end of this season with a five and a half F war, you'd have been like, okay, I love him, but slow down a little bit. Don't do that to him. Like, don't, don't put that. Don't put those kind of expectations on him as like what I would have probably told you. Cause it's just, I mean, didn't we say, we said 2040 and it was like, whoa, that's, that's a good amount. That's a, like that's 25, 50. Yeah. And, and beyond that, I mean, 
he's dealt with like some shoulder stuff this year. Like oh, yeah, he's been hurt. He's been hurt. He's played 145 games because he's just been a, he's a machine. But this guy's slugging 500. Man, a guy with his speed and his ability to hit has no business slugging 500. Like it, that just shows you how special he is. And I mean, this is just the beginning. And a 5.2 F4 season, it's only going to get better and better and better from him. Um, I think he's going to hit for a little bit more power. I think he's going to continue to hit for more average and start to walk a little bit more. It's been just really fun watching him just so quickly jump out of the gate. I will say Jordan Walker, by the way, too, kind of lost in the shuffle. He's obviously not going to be considered for rookie of the year. Uh, And the poor guy had to go learn the outfield on the fly. And that really killed the F4 department, but he has been really swinging it over the last uh, couple months, especially over the last month. So it's great to see that. But the reason why we loved Corbin Carroll to win rookie of the year is I mean, Jordan Walker has to mash to win that award. He has to be one of the better, not just better young hitters. He has to be one of the better hitters in baseball to yeah. win that award for Corbin Carroll. Like even if he didn't rake completely, like let's say he was a step below offensively and, you know, just had a above average offensive year, his speed, his defense, uh, he'd still run into some homers. Like he'd be able to impact the game across the board enough that I still think he he kind of cruises to that to that rookie of the year and still cruises to a three and a half four win season. Like even if he wasn't nearly as good, so that's why his floor is just so high. But now we're starting to see flashes of the ceiling, and that's scary. I remember we made the argument: Jordan Walker at a one thirty three WRC plus in Double A. Corbin Carroll came up last year for a cup of coffee and had a one thirty five WRC plus, yeah. and I was like. Are we looking at the same player? Why is Jordan Walker now the favorite? Because he's a behemoth, but deservedly so. And when I say deservedly so, not really. But the point I'm trying to make is he is going to be a great hitter for a very long time. Yeah. Now, when we look at the National League, this guy's odds aren't even up. But Kodai Senga has had a phenomenal year for the New York Mets. 2.95 ERA. In 155 innings, plenty of strikeouts in a year that will be forgotten on purpose by Mets fans and <laughs> not forgotten by the rest of the league as they continue to make fun of Mets fans for it. Kodai Senga has been a diamond in the rough and has been one of the best pitchers in the National League. The length, right, comes over from the MPB. They're used to making one start a week, so it was mostly a six-man rotation. So he didn't rack up the innings, but in those innings, he was phenomenal. He's getting better. He just keeps getting, getting better. better and better and better. It, it's it, they they got to feel good about – I mean, this is a guy that you – know, I'm not going to say he's like an ace, but you got to feel really good about this guy anchoring the front of your rotation. I mean, if that's your number two or, you know, in a year where you're – where you're tracking and maybe your number one goes down and that's the guy that ends up leading your staff he could lead his staff. He could be, he could be a potential ace if he continues on this track. So, I mean, he's solidified himself as a frontline guy, at least for me, you know, as a number two high end number two type potentially. And um, it's been amazing to see him just get better and better and better. Uh, that looks like a great signing for the Mets too. at what was it? $75 million. I mean, absolute steal when you're going to see what some of these guys get in this market, when you're going to see what Yamamoto gets, you're going to see what Aaron Nola gets. And you got Kodai Senga at that contract <laughs> looks really good. Couldn't agree with you more. Now there was a the guys who got injured. Obviously Matt McLean would be up here, yeah, but man. unfortunately injuries hurt him. Spencer steer would be up there. But the from the F war department because he is just not the defender that you'd yeah. want. Good yeah. offensive stats, not even close to Carroll, and the fact that Corbin Carroll has triple the amount of war as Steer. 
So that's why I got taken off. McLean not going to get there because of injury. Senga just didn't have the same year as Carroll and a couple of injuries to other guys. So yeah. Corbin Carroll is your runaway National League Rookie of the Year. In the American League, same thing. And the odds, I think, got taken off completely. Casas hits the IL. Josh Young has been on the IL. And Yoshida's defense has been so bad that from an F-war department, yeah. he has been barely above replacement level and from an offensive perspective has slowed down a ton. After we talk about Gunnar Henderson... I really want to get your take on what you think about Yoshida moving forward. Yeah. But let's first talk about Gunnar Henderson. Slashing I mean, yeah, well, I was going to say, uh, while everyone slowed down, Gunnar Henderson sped up. Sped up completely. Part. He had a really tough April, really tough May. And the fact that he's sitting with a 4.3 F war with a 125 WRC plus with 27 bombs and nine stolen bases while playing very good defense at shortstop, right? I think what we were talking at the beginning, it was like, all right, Gunner's probably going to play a lot of third, right? They have Mateo. They have so many other glove first shortstop guys, whether that be Westberg, whether that be Joey Ortiz. We could just keep naming the guys in the Orioles system. But he was playing an elite third base, and he had a great bat. So it was like, all right, he's probably going to play there. But the Orioles moved him over to shortstop, and he has not missed a beat. Forget rookie shortstops. He has been one of the better shortstops in the American League, period. Gunnar Henderson, runaway American League Rookie of the Year. We'll shout out some other guys, of course. But as we sit here today with Casas going on the IL and the huge discrepancy in war, and I hear Red Sox fans saying, well, yeah, if if Casas played shortstop, he'd be able to gather all the war. The reality is he doesn't. He plays first base. That's just going to ding you. And when Casas' offensive numbers are not better than Gunner's, you're going to lose the argument. If, if Casas had the whole season that he had in the second half, like if he did that the whole season, you, you got a case because it was unbelievable watching him. He was one of the best hitters in baseball uh, over the last month and, and change. But one one note on Gunner as well, um, you know, when it feels like a, 10 years ago, but when Jorge Mateo was the best player in baseball, uh, they were going to play him at shortstop continuously, right? So that's when we saw Gunner playing third. Gunner was a good third baseman. Three defensive runs saved. A lot of the range metrics looked good. Uh, he, he was He was fine. But he's a better shortstop. He's just more comfortable there. And in roughly the same amount of innings played, slightly less actually at shortstop, nine defensive runs saved. So that's triple the defensive runs saved in about slightly less innings. So you look at it from that perspective, he's a better defender at shortstop. You also accumulate more war at shortstop. So if he played the whole year at short, he's probably closer to a five and change win guy with a shot at maybe finishing with six wins by the end of the year. And and that's an insane rookie year, especially considering how he started somewhat slow. And, and on the other side of it, 27 home runs. I know that it's more of a graveyard to to left field in, in Camden, but this is a guy that likes to use the whole field. You know, he, he will go to all fields with power, and I'm sure he's lost some home runs in, in Camden. 27 home runs so far this year. He has a chance at 30 as a rookie. You know, in, in that ballpark, pretty remarkable stuff. Um, the, these guys were the two Two favorites. I know Gunner was definitely a favorite. And again, another guy that's 22 years old. And and we're just starting to see what is going to be, I think, the, one of the next big superstars in this game. And also shout out Tanner Bybee. Unfortunately, he just went on the IL 298 ERA in 142 innings. And just to quantify Tristan Casas over the entire season, 124 WRC plus 
1.7 F4 and 24 bombs. So Gunner has the edge in home runs. He has the slight edge in WRC plus and is almost triple the amount of war. But Aram, this was the year of the rookie in Major League Baseball. Yeah. This 2023 offensive rookie class is shaping up to be one of the best ever. This rookie class, 30.3 war, 329 home runs. That's the most home runs by rookies in a season ever. There are currently 17 rookies with a two or more war. Likely three or four will get there in the next two weeks. That's Yiner Diaz, Spencer Steer, Bo Naylor, Ezekiel Tovar, and potentially Tristan Casas if he doesn't end the season with his injury. Ten rookies with 20-plus home runs in 2023, is tied for the most ever. And if Luke Rayleigh hits one more home run, it'll be the most rookies with 20-plus home runs ever. 2015 offensive rookie class was also crazy. 14 rookie hitters finished with more than two war, a total of 44.1 war overall. Most F-wars by offensive rookie classes since the integration era. Number one is the 2015 class with Chris Bryant, Francisco Lindor, and Carlos Correa. 1982 comes in second at 35.2 war. Cal Ripken Jr., Wade Boggs, Steve Sachs, and Ryan Sandberg. Then 1987 with Mark McGuire and Fred McGriff. And then 2023 in the season ain't over yet with Corbin Carroll, Gunnar Henderson, James Outman, you can continue going down the line. Game's never been more talented, man. I mean, you look at the, the talent in, in the minor leagues, you look at the talent in college baseball. Some of these guys are, are climbing through the minors so quickly. There is a new wave of really exciting young talent that is going to put baseball in a really good spot for a long time. And I think you just highlighted it as, as, well, as, as well as possible. And shout out Colby Olson, our stats guy again, gave me all the ammo for that. We knew it was a good rookie class. But shout out Colby for quantifying it. Yeah. Arm Layton, time to go through the 2023 MLB draft. So what we're going to do here is we're going to go picks one through 10. Arm's going to give us an update on how they've done since they were drafted. And then two guys who have outperformed their draft position so far. And we're going to continue to do this. But the minor league season is coming to a close. So we might as well start. Number one, drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates out of LSU, Paul Skeens. Yeah, I mean, he, we barely got to see him, which is unfortunate, but we got to see plenty of him, you know, in, in, on the big stage in, in college baseball. And so we only saw a handful of innings. You know, they were definitely managing his workload. And I, I thought it was kind of interesting that they said, hey, you know, we want Skeens to throw this many innings and we want him to do this before him actually throwing professionally. And I think as they started to see like, hey, this guy's got a lot of of miles on his arm this year like let's let's shut it down so he finished the year with a really good outing in double a uh, where he went two innings of one or shutout ball one hit three strikeouts no walks his velo was quote-unquote down to only 98 uh, on average with the fastball and i think just him probably feeling the the workload I mean, remember, this is a guy that threw 120 pitches in his final collegiate game, 123 pitches the game before that, 101 the game before that, and 124 the game before that. Like, I'm glad they shut him down. He's going to be ready to go full bore next year. I think probably start at AAA. If he starts in double, he can get bumped up real quick. But we saw everything we needed to see even in, in six and two-thirds. We saw everything we needed to see from Paul Skeens in college. Couldn't agree with you more. Number two, the Washington Nationals select outfielder out of LSU. The cruise missile, Dylan Cruz. Yeah. So I think I feel like people don't know exactly what to make of Dylan Cruz's like 
cameo so far professionally uh, because he, he dismantled low a competition. I mean, just, just absolutely raked there. Then he skips over high a goes to double and struggled a bit. And, and, and it's been a, a bit of a rough go for Cruz and double a. And I see people really excited about Wyatt Langford, who we're going to get to. And I think you, you just can't look at it that way. You can't just compare them and say, okay, like this is not looking good for Cruz because Langford has been so good. Like, it's it's just not linear when it comes to progress, and he's already settling in. Uh, and Cruz is already starting to look better uh, against the double A competition, but so far, you know, hasn't been great. 208, 318, 278 slash line, not great for 20 double A games. But again, I, I do think that he's just kind of getting his feet under him. It's been a long year for him as well, uh, and, and I think people really underestimate the, the exhaustion for hitters too. And I think it's just catching up to him a little bit. And and I think he's struggling to just adjust a tad. He's swinging a lot more than he swung in college. I think he's still getting the feel for things. I'm not worried about Dylan Cruz in the slightest. And I don't think you should be either through, you know, 20 poor double A games. He's had a nice five game stretch though, as we're recording this. Yeah. And he's probably going to put together a nice 10 game stretch because he's Dylan Cruz and the Cruz. He's Dylan Cruz. And number three, the Detroit Tigers select outfielder at a Franklin community in Indiana, Max Clark. Yeah, I mean, I'll say we're going to get to Langford again because I feel like Langford becomes the topic when we talk about anybody in the top three because Langford went four. But Clark has really impressed me from what I've been able to see. I, this is a dude that played in, in Indiana, and I know that he impressed on the summer circuit and things like that. But, I mean, this guy destroyed the complex league right away. And, and the complex league, we talk about baseball being as talented as ever. From top to bottom, it's talented. High school to the complex league is a big jump, and he he dismantled it. And then he gets to low A, and – he struggled a little bit. He had a couple bad games. Uh, you know, he's a patient hitter. So I think sometimes the zone being big worked against him. But then we saw flashes of what can be an absolute freak. I mean, the speed is crazy. The defense is exciting. Uh, he's flashing above average power, which is really encouraging given that he's 18 years old and not the biggest guy in the world. And I, I think so far, yeah, you could look at the low A stat line and say, eh. But I think he's shown everything you'd want to see from an 18 year old who was just drafted out of high school, especially in Indiana, you know, where he's not playing the, the best competition consistently. I've heard a comp for him lately, Johnny Damon. <laughs> That's an interesting one. I like that. The only difference is Damon had no arm and Clark has a hose. True. Damon uh, had no arm at no, all. The worst arm of all time. <laughs> Ever. Oh my God. It was like, anytime he caught the ball, I was like, I almost like closed my eyes. I don't want to watch him throw it. I, I don't hate that comp. That's not a bad comp at all. Let's go to number four, and we can talk about comps all day long. Oh, my God. Out of Florida, the Gators, University of Florida, Texas Rangers select, White Langford. Oh, my gosh. They got to be thanking everybody, everybody that he fouled them before. Not just the Tigers. I I mean, the Pirates, even the Nationals. And, again, like I'm not not saying that Cruz or Skeens or any of these guys aren't going to be great, but what White Langford is doing is insane. And I know we talked about it recently and, and kind of broke it all down. But even since we recorded that, it's been absurd to watch what he's doing. And you could say, oh, it's an overreaction or like, oh, you know, it's a small sample size, blah, blah, blah. Yes, it is a small sample size. But when you watch a guy go to double A and in 12 games, hit 405, 519, 762, walk more than he struck out. That's kind of all you need to see. Like, you can just see this guy swing. I've talked to some, some players who have played against him. I've talked to some pitchers who have pitched against him. And they're like, this guy's, this guy swings big league ready. And he's already gotten promoted to AAA, so he'll make his AAA debut as people are listening to this. And it's probably one of the more advanced swings I've seen. And like Cruz, that's what we loved about him. But there's something about Langford and the way that he's been able to replicate his swing from college into professional ball 
and straight into double A and really not get outside of himself at all. I think this guy's top five prospect in baseball potentially by the end of season update. He's somehow better with a wood bat. It doesn't make sense. He's amazing. It's unbelievable. But the draft ain't stopping. And number five, Uh the Minnesota Twins select outfielder out of South Brunswick in North Carolina High School, Walker Jenkins. This is a top 10 prospect as well. I Uh love him. He's unbelievable. Unbelievable. it, this is a dude, man. Like he's another guy, but on, on a high school scale, to have a swing as advanced as he has already. Everything I said about Low A holds true for a high school guy, how hard it is to, to jump there. And that's why I'm not dinging Clark for struggling there. But then you see what Walker Jenkins is doing there. And there's a reason why this was my favorite high school bat, I said, in, in years. 26 games between the complex and Low A 362, 417, 571 slash line. 12 games in low A, he somehow got better. 392, 446, 608. This dude is big, but he swings the bat like like he's a plus hit tool guy it's, that it's just can spray the ball all it's over. It's, just, it's so effortless, but it's so natural in terms of his feel for the barrel. Like he's a easy plus hit tool guy. And then you're seeing projection for power because he's big and he's fast and he has a good approach. He doesn't chase. This is a top 10 prospect for me right away um and when we update he will be he will be in our top 10 i can guarantee you that fire me up now number six the oakland ace like shortstop out of grand canyon jacob wilson hey i didn't love the pick none of us love the pick um but wilson's done nothing but improve his stock so far small sample of course that's all we're working with here but 23 high a games 318 378 455 slash line and he's doing what he's done best. He's not striking out, right? 10 strikeouts and 99 plate appearances. I think the ceiling is incredibly limited compared to the other guys that we just mentioned. But we know that the A's approach it like, hey, we just want big leaguers and we're just going to build it out and figure it out from there. And I will say, I mean, Wilson's looked like a big leaguer. And and that's if you're going to reach for a guy like this and underslot him, that's all you can ask for. I think the ceiling is limited, but he's done what you'd want to see so far. And that's really almost never swing and miss and, and consistently put the ball in play. The three of us didn't love the pick because I think we all felt that the ceiling was capped, but at the same time, what did we say? If we had to pick a guy that was going to be an auto big leaguer, Jacob Wilson was in the top three and they got him at six and they underslotted him. So was it the sexiest pick? No. Is he one of the most likely players from this draft? to be an above average big leaguer? I think so. Yeah. I mean, at the very least, he's an average big leaguer. And like, there's there's value to that, especially with how hard it is to draft. So I think he's done nothing but but help his stock. Like if you get 20 war out of him for his career with the oh. number six pick, and like, is that out of the realm of possibility? No, no, not at all. I don't think so. I think he could be a two to three win player for, for a while. There you go. Number seven, the Cincinnati Reds select right-hander out of Wake Forest. And my guy, Rhett Louder. I love the pick, man. I We haven't seen him throw, and I'm kind of glad almost. Again, I was glad when they shut down Skeens and, and Louder. You know, there were some rumblings about, you know, where his, his arm and is, is it great? I don't know. You know, is, is there some elbow issues? I, I haven't seen any merit to that. Um, but I do think that there is a level of, hey, like, let's just take it easy with him. And that's what they're doing. So we haven't seen Louder throw at all. Maybe we'll see him in the AFL. Maybe he'll throw a couple innings out there. Uh, but this is a guy that pretty much th- they're going to have him on the Skeens plan. 
and I know it's not the same stuff, but it's the same pitchability. He's going to be fast tracked to, to the big league. So, you know, I wouldn't worry much about not seeing him this year. And I think it'll allow them to kind of unleash him a little bit more next year. And, you know, Wake Forest had him kind of on a pitch count all year as well. I am afraid to say this take into a mic, but I believe it. So I'm going to do it. I think he's going to be the best pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds in two years. I think he's going to be better than Green. I think he's going to be better than Lodolo. I think he's going to be better than Abbott. I love everything I see from Rhett Louder. Hey, I don't think that's a crazy take because he gets ground balls. He pounds the strike zone and that plays in great American ballpark. Don't give up free passes and and don't give up homers. <laughs> like I, 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 I think he'll be I, consistent. I still think he's going to be a, a slightly watered down version of what the Blue Jays get from Gosman. Ooh, that'd be fun. Yeah. I, I mean, I would, you'd take a, you'd take a diminished Gosman any day of the week. That's what I think. He's I don't going think that's to a bad be. comp at all. And he's got the same hair and he's got to change up from hell, even though Gosman is a splitter. And I just see so much Gosman in Rhett Louder. And number eight, fit merchant. he's going to be a fit, fit merchant, fit merchant, yeah. especially in great American ballpark. I love fit merchants though. He's going to have like a three, six ERA and a two, nine FIP. And you're going to be like, well, get about a great American ballpark. I could already see the story unfolding. A hundred percent. At number eight, I lost some money on this pick. I thought he'd go over the 13 and a half draft position, but the Royals so drafted I. catcher out of Sinton, Texas, High school catcher, Blake Mitchell. Yeah, I mean, Blake Mitchell might be very good. He might be. I think the swing is actually pretty nice. I, he's got crazy tools, but he, you know, and, and I'm not, especially with the high school guys, I am not going to overreact to the small samples. With the college guys that have a small sample and demolish double A, that I can I can buy into because you can you can really see them meeting the competition and you, and that's just a different beast. But like with Blake, with Blake Mitchell and, and a lot of these high school guys, like what, what do you expect? They're going to from literally prom to professional baseball. Like it, it, it's a cur- learning curve. But five for thirty-four with fourteen Ks at the complex, not great. Uh, patient hitter. I still think he's going to be a good player. But I just looking at some of the names that go after him and some of the names before him, I, I thought it was a little bit of a peculiar pick by the Royals who just need to accumulate talent. Uh, and and high probability big league talent. Like I thought the Jacob Wilson pick would be more up their alley around this range. Um, but again, we'll have to wait to see. It, it could be four or five years before Mitchell, you know, really, we really figure out exactly what kind of prospect he is. I'll overreact. So basically what you're saying is the Royals not only made a bad pick, but then I lost money on that bad pick. Yes. So they screwed themselves and screwed me. I mean, it definitely wasn't it wasn't the best pick in the world. If he turns into some special catcher in three years, which is possible, then it could be a really good pick. But it, at the, this present moment, and if I was approaching the draft and I worked in the Royals office, front office or whatever, I, I definitely would would say don't make that pick. I'm going to ask Bet MGM to refund me because it was the right pick. Um, yeah, Arm said it's the right pick. Just yeah, Arm said it was the right pick. Look at his stats of the complex league. I deserve yeah, my buddy yeah. back. Arm said it should have. <laughs> he should have went 14th. So. Yeah, exactly. And number nine, Colorado Rockies select right-hander out of Tennessee, University of Tennessee, Chase Dolander. Poor guy. Um, but if there's anyone that can kind of buck the the altitude and Rockies trend, it's Dolander. Um, we haven't seen him throw either. I think that they kind of want him to get right. And you know, he, he definitely was inconsistent at the end of the year. And so they're going to take it slow. But I'm very fascinated to see how this – progression goes because um i just checked in on Jaden hill you remember him from from lsu and yeah that was a second round pick for them uh he was a t- potential top 10 
arm, you know, top 10 pick and, you know, he got hurt Tommy John. So Rockies take a chance on him and it just hasn't looked good from Jaden Hill so far. I just don't have a lot of faith in, you know, and Gabriel Hughes has looked good. I think he's just had you know, been in bad environments. It's just such a bad place to be drafted. It's just unfortunate for Dolander. Gonna agree with you more. I was, as soon as they drafted him, I'm like, oh, poor guy. Poor guy. Number 10, the Miami Marlins select right-handed pitcher out of high school in Jesuit, Oregon, Noble Meyer. I've been impressed. I have, you know, and it's nice because we get a little bit of video now that he's already in low A, um, seen some interviews and stuff. I I can see why the Marlins kind of fell in love with the, the pitcher that he is. Big dude, pretty low effort VLO. He's sitting 94 uh, between the complex and low A, 14 and two-thirds innings, 17 Ks, eight walks, five earned runs. It's a three ERA, just a hair over. Um, and he just came off his best outing so far, uh, which was in a playoff game for low A Jupiter, where he went three and two-thirds scoreless. So I mean, he has a chance to be really, really good. I, I would have liked to see them go with a bat. I mean, a couple bats that we're going to talk about in a moment here that I loved that they didn't go with. But you know what? I don't think they're going to lose sleep over a, a mid-90s fastball, a disgusting slider, big projectable kid that already looks like he's pretty good. Um, yeah, th- this isn't this isn't a bad pick by any means. I just think with some of the bats that we're going to talk about in a moment here and where the Marlins are at organizationally, you know, you could make the case that they should have went with one, but I don't blame the Marlins for playing to a strength. And I think they played to the strength with the right guy here in Noble Meyer. He looks very, very talented. Let's get into a couple of those bats. Who has been overperforming their draft position so far? Oh my God. Well, Matt Shaw, you know how much I loved Matt Shaw going into the draft. I was just talking about, I was showing you guys some video of, of his home runs at Maryland and, and for, for the Cubs to be able to snag him at 14, I think was just an absolute steal. And what this guy's been able to do right out of the gate between high A and double A 38 games, 357, 400, 618 slash line. Uh, is he going to stick it short? I don't know. He might play second. He might play third. I don't care. It's all about the bat here. Eight home runs, 23 extra base hits in 38 games. And I think what people really sleep on with this guy, because he's 5'11", 190, sneaky good athlete, super explosive with his lower half. I like can really produce some exciting exit velocities. And in that 38-game span, his 19 batted ball is 105-plus miles per hour. This wow. guy hits the living crap out of the ball. He's going to get to the big leagues quick. He doesn't swing and miss much. When you have that combination of power and field to hit, I think this guy's going to be uh, somebody and the next guy's going to be the same, same thing, but a lot of teams are going to be like, man, why did I overthink that one? I should not have passed on Matt Shaw. Let me guess. Number two, Kyle Teal drafted number yep. four. Uh, was, he was drafted 14 by the Red Sox. Catcher 14 by the Red Sox. Sorry. Shaw was. Shaw what? was 13 to the 13. Cubs. Yeah. Gotcha. So, and it's funny, you know, Nolan Shanwell, first baseman out of Florida Atlantic with the angels, got drafted 11th and is already in the big leagues hitting 294 not much impact from the power department but he is spraying singles and for a guy who's drafted this year angels fans have to be super excited now is he going to be the crazy impact guy probably not but the fact that he's already hitting big league pitching after playing in the florida atlantic league and going to frat parties like two months ago it's incredible yeah, I, I will say yeah that, and that's it's almost I almost forget because he's graduated from prospect status after playing in the conference USA like a few months ago. It's been awesome to see what Shanwell is doing. He's getting on base at a 400 clip against big league pitching, which is which is insane. Uh, but first baseman with limited power projection, like I do wonder how high the ceiling is and what there is to dream on there. But you you got to feel good that he's a big league bat already, and, and that's really exciting. So Shanwell, of course, I'm glad you mentioned him. Definitely a name 
to mention because he's definitely exceeded his, his expectations. I think that any reasonable person would have had for him. Uh, but another guy, I mean, Kyle Teal for the Red Sox. I mean, 14th overall, I don't know how he falls there. Uh, I, I saw some people concerned about like, oh, you know, he only had that one really, really good year. Like, I don't care. He The year before was fine. And, and also, he is a really good hitter from the left side. He's a very athletic catcher. And he has already gotten himself to double A, which is really impressive for a catcher. Between high A and double A, 23 games, 357, 476, 464 slash line, 19 walks, 22 strikeouts. He's also thrown out 30% of base stealers. And I think that's been the really under like underestimated part of his game. People are like, oh, how's the defense going to be? Like he's athletic, but how well-rounded is the defense? Defense looks great. He looks really, really, really good. And so I think a lot of teams are going to be kicking themselves there. I do wonder how much power there is for Teal, but there's a lot of room to add strength in his frame. And he is a guy that gets, you know, his A swing off consistently. He's just not a ton of impact there but a plus feel to hit good approach and power projection. I think Teal is definitely going to climb quickly. He's the catcher of the future in Boston and a really, really special talent that I'm shocked fell to the middle of the first round. I do want to highlight one more guy. If you have nothing to add on Kyle Teal, I'm sure you're not thrilled that the Red Sox that he fell right into the Red Sox lab. Obviously I'm not thrilled as a Yankee fan, but at the same time, I was really excited about the pick for them at the time, you know, taking a step back, I cover the whole league. I thought, and we all thought this at the time, what a pick. I mean, we, we wanted Kyle Teal at eight to the Royals. We wanted Kyle Teal at 10 to the Red Sox or excuse me, to the Marlins. Marlins. I thought that the A's should draft Kyle Teal at six. Yeah. Why not? So, the fact that he fell to 14, neither of us, Jack included, are surprised that Kyle Teal has gone off to this great start. And you were really on the Matt Shaw train. I didn't know much about him. I'd watched him a couple of times in Maryland. I thought he was really good. I actually was a Kyle Teal guy over a Matt Shaw guy. But it's just okay. cool to see both guys being incredible. Yeah. And, I mean, the thing with Teal, too, it's it's a perfect situation for him. Like, there's no one in his way. Okay, Connor Wong at the big league. Sure, they, they'd no. love Connor Wong to be a backup. As good as he's been this year, like they'd love Connor Wong to be a backup. And there's nobody else really in the, in the organization that's in his way. I do want to highlight one more guy real quick before we wrap up. Go ahead. Mariners did it again, man. They found you know Cole Young. I talk about him how he was you know one of the biggest risers in our top 100 list and is already a top 25 prospect in baseball. They go high school left-handed hitting shortstop again with Cole Emerson at 22. And he looks like Cole Young. <laughs> he looks exactly like him. And, and I think he might even have even more upside. This guy is such a good hitter. He just turned 18, one of the younger guys in the draft, already made his way to low A. And, and so far on the season, he's mashing in 24 games, 356, 482, 522. I've been really impressed with the power he's already starting to flash. Uh, the chase rates are low. He looks just like Cole Young. This is a top 100 prospect as well. So they continue to eat in the middle to later parts of the first round. And it's just been really fun to watch the Mariners restock the farm system. They, they know what they're doing over there, man. What an episode. What a bunch of topics. We've been here for a while, and we hope that you all can at least hit that subscribe button. If you enjoyed all the content. Leave a rating, please. Uh, we Leave dropped a 4.9 on Spotify. We dropped uh, a 4.9 stars on Spotify with over 1,100 re- 1100 reviews if you could try your best to get us back up to five stars it really helps our ego but in actuality it just really helps the show and we really appreciate all the support from you guys and if you want to show support by getting yourself some merch we'd greatly appreciate it. you can find the merch link arm and i are both rocking the rope hats 
But if you don't want to spend a dime, we totally understand. Rate and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And on Apple Podcasts, if you could leave a written review, tell us what you like. We greatly appreciate it. And then on YouTube, just hitting that subscribe button. Let us know in the comments what you want to see in future episodes. And all of this is brought to you by the King of Sportsbooks, and that is BetMGM. If you see any value on any of the awards, use our friends at BetMGM by using promo code JUSTBASEBALL. We'll be back tomorrow. That's Aram. I'm Peter. And with that, thank you, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.